0: I think Elvis was wrong. I think people need a bit more conversation, but don't— at least the part of the conversation where people listen to each other, people are remarkable and their stories are unique to them. This is just my effort to tell about the remarkable people, the makers, the doers, idealists, the humans, they create things, songs, stories, art, they have struggles, passions, ideas, and I find myself curious enough about them to record their stories and experiences so we can experience them together. Hey, my name is Evan Blackerby. Thanks for waiting on me. I've been taking my time. This is a podcast called The Friends We Meet. Elvis might have been a stretch. One of the first moments that I remember being anxious, it was the time my mom took me to a local public library. And this is a parenthesis, but this was the mid eighties. And parents just left their kids in one part of the library. And they went to another part of the library to do their thing. I was in the kids section of the local public library. I was probably five years old or something. My mom had dropped me off. I was playing with some other kids. There was this sort of barrel for toys or something. It wasn't huge and I loved hide and seek and I I had just enough space to fit into it. I crawled into it. I figured the barrel and the whole world was a safe place. Then some random hoodlum, some rebellious six-year-old or something like that probably took the cover to the barrel and placed it on top of the barrel and locked me in. He held it down, and I was stuck. It suddenly occurred to me that I couldn't breathe. I was panicking. I was kicking. I was screaming, and I started crying and pushing on the top of the barrel cover. I was going to be the kid who died at the library in a toy barrel. But I was super scared. It felt real. It felt very real. So on today's episode of The Friends We Meet... We talked with my friend Brian Box. He worked for years to resettle refugees. He's a former police officer. He's a poet. He's a father. And I think we could learn a bit from him. He's my friend. This is uh, Brian Boggs. Welcome to the friends we meet. Thank you for having me. I mean, I had to beg you, which was not, you know, unsuccessful. not at
1: all true. Actually, not not true. I think I pursued you to get this thing set up. It's true. You mentioned you wanted to do this, and I said we should host a podcast together. And you said no, my kids wouldn't be able to listen to it because That's you don't right. trust me to control myself. That's true. Okay. Is that what you meant when you said you put up with me for so many years? Is like...
0: So let's talk about your family. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tell me about your family.
1: I have a wife and two children. They are nine and seven. My wife works. I'm a stay-at-home dad. My kids are in school right now, which gives us this time.
0: You're, you're outnumbered by females. How's that?
1: Well, I mean, you can't control... What kind of children you have, you know, you just... Well, not if you're doing it the traditional way. The traditional way of having kids. You've, we have two girls. That's how that happened. Mm. Do you mean what's that like,
0: being yeah. outnumbered? Yeah, so what's that like to have two young ladies?
1: I don't know. I mean, n- not even tongue-in-cheek. I, I just don't know the difference, I guess, in a way. Meaning I've never... Other than having nephews, I wouldn't know what it's like to have little boys running around. Although I, I will say I see a lot of myself in the girls. <laughs> I see a lot of myself in the girls, meaning like they seem just as wild as any boys. They fight like cats and dogs. They run, they climb, they like sports. I, I think there is a side of them that is probably a lot more imaginative than I was uh, as far as social play is concerned. They wanna like, with, when they are together with friends, um, they'll play differently in that it's all relational based versus activity based. Mm. Well, I, I noticed that difference. How how do they change you? How have they changed you? I think they have actually helped me see the world differently than I once did. And I, what I mean by that is there's there's a couple ways to explain that. In in general. Kids have a way of seeing the world that's fresh and new, and I absolutely love that. It it can be a little frustrating because you're like, you want them to understand the way the world works, and they don't yet, but it's beautiful because every day really just seems like new experiences and new learning opportunities.
0: So we're going to take a break for just a second. We have incredible sponsors. This podcast would not be possible without the following. The Budding Artichoke, a local artisan food market focused on sustainable foods and health products. You can find them on any social media. The Flywheel Press, designing and printing luxury stationery so you can make lasting connections with others. Visit the Flywheel NC on Instagram or their website, theflywheelnc.com. And a special gift sponsorship from an anonymous donor has asked you to check out Growing High Point. This is a nonprofit organization with a mission to create a dynamic and vibrant city by providing access and agricultural opportunities to High Point, North Carolina residents. Check them out. Growing High Point.
1: I think there is this element of feeling like I need to figure out how much of the world to protect them from. Mm. And sometimes that can be a little misplaced. I want them to know how to navigate the world to keep themselves safe, but maybe also to understand that there is no way to navigate the world and be unscathed and completely safe. There is no bubble to go in. So they have to have the tools to overcome their struggles, but be smart enough to avoid the pitfalls they can avoid. And so I don't always think of those things very clearly, but it is a different way for me to look at the world. And part of that is because I fly by the seat of my pants, and I don't think about those things for myself all the time. Um, But with kids, it's different. And I I still see the world, for better or for worse, like I, I think it is different with uh, girls, too, because I actually, I think there is a sad history of predation of women by men that is generally something I didn't have to deal with, meaning I had to learn to navigate the world and not fall into obvious pitfalls, but that wasn't one of them, mm-hmm. to know when, when they say no, that means no, no matter the situation, now as children, and hopefully that follows them as they get older, Mm. too.
0: What are you discovering about yourself through your kids?
1: I don't have my stuff together. (laughs) I, uh, I don't... I have great lofty ideas about what I want to impart to my kids, but I don't have the structure in my head and in my life to impart those things in a meaningful way. So... I will like opine especially with my wife. Like what what is disciplining the kids look like on a day to day and I'm like, "Oh, well, I, you know, I this is what I believe I should impart to my kids and it's all very high and lofty and okay, what are you doing?" And I just stare at her thinking to myself, "What am I doing? I, I don't." So it's uh, taught me that I don't move through life very intentionally. Um that's something about myself I would like to rectify as much as I can. But I am, I am, I am as type B and ADHD as I could be, and I am not intentional. No. Those aren't superlatives, I actually am ADHD. <laughs> like I just, it's not what, hyperbole.
0: What gives you joy?
1: About my family? About it all? Uh, having kids and watching them experience the world is, oh my gosh especially those things that I enjoy, which to some extent is like nature and being outdoors and watching them discover things and enjoy those things. It's like Christmas morning over and over again, you know, they're like opening the gifts and it's just exciting. Just their little eyes light up. Um, I think also the time of respite. (laughs) It's funny, sometimes having kids feels like Stockholm syndrome, you know, (laughs) where (laughs) you you love it and you want to, you want to embrace it, because you start to realize this is going away fast. You're not ever having these moments again. You can't go backwards. There's only forward, and their lives are moving fast. Um, So you want to soak it all up. But then at the end of the day, where they're finally asleep, (laughs) and you're like, you look at your wife, and she looks at you, and in your 20s, that would have meant something different. But now it's like, let's turn on the TV.
0: <laughs> Our team really can't do this podcast without you. We have a whole group, a community, really, of people who support this podcast financially to make sure that it happens. Each episode might be free to listen to, but it's not cheap, to paraphrase Austin Kleon, If this podcast adds value to your life, I would appreciate your support at any level. Join this group of people who makes this happen. Go to patreon.com slash the meet. That's where you'll find the behind the scenes stuff. And that group gets the longer raw audio interviews that don't fit on the episode and all that stuff. That's patreon.com slash the meet. So tell me about being a police officer.
1: Oh, man. It's been a, a, like three years, probably, since I had that job. And I only did the job for five, five, five and a half years. But in that amount of time, I do think I experienced a lot of life. Um, a lot of life, a lot of death, a lot of suffering. Uh, it is an emotionally trying job. And um, one that left me feeling pretty broken, with a decent amount of trauma, um, mental illness issues. So yeah, I think policing, as much as I embraced some of it, will always have this cloud over it as well. Um, I mean, there's other issues too. Sure, the things I've come to think about society and the role of police and whatnot and what role I played in that. It's very different now than it was.
0: What parts did you embrace of that particular role?
1: I like people a lot, and I want to understand people. And we were talking earlier about, like, being a cultural anthropologist. Well, that was an incredible insight into worlds that I've never been invited into and probably won't be again. Um, some of those worlds I wish were a lot easier for people to navigate, but yeah, I get to see people who lived in poverty make decisions that people who aren't in poverty don't understand. Mm. Um, People with trauma in their background and daily trauma they experience. Uh, They had to still navigate life and have they had kids to take care of and people in homelessness, people in people racked by addiction and their loved ones, people with acute mental illness. We got to see it all up close. Undocumented people needing to navigate their way through a system that in some ways wanted to use their skills and in other ways wanted to tell them that they didn't belong Um, yeah there's just so Mm -hmm. much and uh, we, we have a system which I'm thankful for but it is confusing and doesn't always produce just results. And I, I think that's a complicated statement. Sure. But yeah.
0: So, at what point did you determine or even have an inkling that you're hitting a wall, you can't do this
1: anymore? When I finally made the decision, it was years too late. Um, I got to the point, and I, I remember it. I remember one day. I got a call, um, or I heard a call on the radio. It wasn't mine. I didn't get dispatched to it, but I was the closest unit. And uh, it was a call for an overdose, which at the time we were responding to heroin overdoses, you know, like you might assume we'd respond to shopliftings, like all the time, all the time. Uh, Usually heroin overdoses mean... There's somebody unresponsive, drooling. There's a needle somewhere. You don't really know where that thing is. There can be blood. Um, those are all, all became real triggers for me, particularly the needle and blood and whatnot um, and keeping myself safe. And so I knew I was the closest one to that call, not by a long shot, but I was. And I just thought in my head, I can't do this. I just can't. I can't go. Um I ended up going thankfully was not the first one there because I got there and the person was like still out on the ground a total mess and uh yeah, it was to the point where I realized I couldn't properly give first aid and life-saving treatment that I was like dude, what what are you doing? <laughs> that is Especially in, in the cases of overdoses and whatnot. That's a primary function. What is the point of you putting on the uniform if you can't help people by saving their life? Um, so I had to go tell my superiors, who had no idea. They had no idea I was experiencing any problems. Um, I had to go tell them I couldn't do this thing.
0: And so it, did, they, did they believe you? I mean, was it one of those things where it was a shock to them, I'm sure?
1: It was a shock, but at the time, I didn't know exactly what to do other than I can't do this job. So I I put in two weeks' notice. I I handed in my resignation, said I can't do it anymore. My supervisor at the time said he was shocked. He didn't know I was struggling and told me, well, okay, I have nothing else for you but to go on patrol but if you ever feel like you need to go home, just go home. And so I actually ended up on the street for a couple more days until his superiors got hold of it and immediately took me off the street and put me behind a desk. And I mean, it ended up working okay. Um, I ended up not resigning right away. I worked a desk job for six months and whatnot.
0: Was that relieving, humbling? What was that period of time like where you were, like, working at a desk when you were out on the street?
1: Mm. It, it ran the gamut of emotions. It was relief in that I wasn't dealing head-on with situations that terrified me and left me with anxiety literally for hours. I would just struggle and struggle and struggle during the day. And I didn't have, have that to the same extent I was bad off enough that I couldn't function well, even in an office environment though, because I couldn't control it. Mm-hmm. Sharing bathrooms with people and touching other people's mail and what, whatnot. It, um, I had become so bad I couldn't touch anything without needing to wash my hands. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was, so it was actually very hard even to be in an office environment.
0: So, you've described a little bit of it, but we're describing obsessive compulsive behavior, correct?
1: That, and I, I got diagnosed with something called panic disorder. Okay. On top of that.
0: Okay, so tell me, tell us what that feels like, what that looks like for you.
1: Obsessive compulsive disorder can manifest in a lot of ways, but my understanding is a common thread that everybody will have are thoughts you can't control. So essentially, it's not like somebody talking to you. So it's not similar to schizophrenia in that way, but your mind is wired a little bit differently than other, other people's. And so a particular part of your, your brain will send hormonal signals that make you panic or have anxiety. In the same way, if a, a person without this issue saw there's a fire, you would have uh, a response of, um, adrenaline and you'd run you'd run you'd pull a fire alarm and run away people with OCD see fire when there's no fire mm. so you get the same adrenaline response and you'll you can start in my case I was panicking probably nearly having full-blown panic attacks didn't know that but my heart would start pounding I would just have this horrible feeling that the sky was falling Um, That's the best way I can describe it. It's not. I mean, I knew I wasn't being shot at or something crazy like that, but my body was reacting as if I was. Mm. My body was reacting as if something terrible is happening to me, Um, and I could just be sitting in a car. Yeah, I've had that experience multiple times. It isn't daily anymore, whereas I think I was getting to that point where it would be daily, where I'd have to just... I, I couldn't be comfortable anywhere but in my own house for a while. Usually with OCD, too, there is some sort of component where if I don't do this action, this horrible thing will happen, and they don't have to be related at all. So if I, I mean, it could be in, you know, for example, I check the stove multiple times at night to make sure it's off because if I don't check the stove, there's going to be a house fire and my whole family's going to die but it doesn't matter, I I still can have the same amount of anxiety if I check the stove 10 times, because your brain doesn't shut that off. And that's every day still? Yeah, I have anxiety every day. Um, Coming into this space, touching things, putting my stuff down on the table, I look at the table first to see if it looks clean. Are there smudges? Is there something dark that could be blood?
0: What do you find helps it and hurts it?
1: So the things that hurt it, are there's probably a lot of them. Some of it is not recognizing it. So the anxiety mounts. Uh, it doesn't stay the same amount. And if I don't recognize it and deal with it, it will build and build until I, I can't control it. Um, and then that's when I'm let yelling at my kids for no reason, and they don't understand. I don't blame them. Or... I basically bottle up and (laughs) am useless to everybody including myself so on the flip side of that if I recognize what's happening I can stop and think okay no I'll do this I'll have this conversation with myself hey Brian you don't need to freak out you're okay recognizing what's happening is is huge the same that not recognizing what's happening turns out to be huge um, medicine. I would partially for reasons that this problem can uh, lead to terrible depression, which it did with me. That's the first thing that led me to taking some medication that helps mitigate first the depression, which was really dark, and uh, but also a little bit the anxiety. It helps ease that a little bit. So medication, recognizing it. Therapy is big for me. I've been in therapy for a few years now and don't intend to quit. As long as I can do it, that's always going to be helpful. Yeah, getting over the hump of talking about it. Yeah, I'm not the only one. Yeah, it's a little embarrassing to talk about it in such stark terms, or like the specifics can be embarrassing because it's it's not rational. You know, Mm. I don't really need to look at the table and think, "Oh, is that blood? Oh, am I going to get X disease from that blood?" You know, that's it's not rational. It's embarrassing. Mm. But I'm not the only one who deals with anxiety Mm -hmm. and OCD. And talking about it has been somewhat anxiety-reducing and somewhat empowering, too. It's also, Mm. it offers a way to connect deeply with people who struggle. Um, I don't have to have the same struggles you have, but I'll be honest about the struggles I do have, and I think Mm. that helps.
0: You said something really interesting where you said, Your brain just works differently. I like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so my understanding is that it is a physical difference in your brain's chemistry. So it's not like something that can be shut off, and it's not like I could actually take a pill and have it go away. Uh, There's not a cure for it. Um, There are coping mechanisms. So it's that realization, which can be kind of crappy, but... But it's also true, and I can live with it. I can move forward and continue to get better.
0: What do the next few years look like for you?
1: Well, I don't think it'll surprise you. <laughs> You've known me well enough to know. that um, I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> uh, I don't, yeah, I, I'm figuring things out. Somewhat as I go, but some, somewhat more planned than before. And all I mean by that is I actually have methods for thinking through things. I've been writing a lot, writing a lot of poetry, which I love. And it helps me get all my thoughts out on paper, or it helps me focus enough to get some thoughts out on paper. I've never been a person who did. I I don't even do New Year's resolutions, let alone like a five-year plan or something like that. Uh, The next few years hopefully hopefully look like uh, me becoming a better me, a better parent, a better husband. It's all just hopefully learning in each area of my life and just incrementally adjusting as I go. So yeah, I mean, hopefully it's a better period of self-reflection. I know in my head there could be another period of real darkness. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I think I'm more ready for it than the last few years. I'm more okay with struggle. Yeah, I think I'm more okay with saying yes to things too. Like Maybe. what? Uh, this, like uh, looking for something outside the home to do now that I feel a little more comfortable. Like I, I work in your greenhouse only a couple hours a week, but I love it. Uh, yeah, so the next few years, I mean, that's the best I got. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm okay with that now.
0: So. so you mentioned writing. Yeah. What does that do for your brain?
1: Yeah, uh, that's that's a big thing. So, I think it has allowed me to sit and watch and focus. So, what's going on around me? Maybe it's my way of meditation. Maybe my way of prayer. In some in some ways, uh, you know, me trying to meditate or me trying to pray, um, is me being distracted. <laughs> it, in so many ways, but I can sit and write out thoughts, hopes, wishes, struggles, um, ideas. It's a point of focus. Would you share one? Yeah, I can, sure. I have to find one that, you know, conforms to your decency rules. (laughs) I don't know if we can bleep out specific things. Oh, yeah, here's a short one. Just kind of more, we'll call it prayerful. Um, So I I sit out on our front porch. It's like my happy space in the mornings, and it's bright and usually sunny. Um, It's a nice place to be in the morning. And so I just look and watch. And I, I wrote, I am lucky. My breeze filters through trees, through sunshine, through time enough to stop and remember that life is what's good, breath is what's good. So it can be that simple, just focusing on the little things that we don't think about a lot. It's what's on your heart, what's on your mind, what you notice. years with COVID and whatnot, and sort of an explosion of mental illness. And like, my gripe is, I used to be special, and now everybody's got a problem, and I don't appreciate that. I'm just just being silly. But uh, life has to go on. You're either going to sit on the train tracks and let yourself get hit by the life train over and over and over again, or we jump on the train, and we ride it. But, I mean, there are, there are tools you can use. Like I mentioned therapy specifically for me, writing. Oh, man, don't avoid community. That is a killer. So you need to find friends who can, if they can't understand, at least will listen. Uh, that is a big deal, especially in, in times like this, um, where a lot of the mental health issues stem from separation from people. Find your core group that you're comfortable with and see them as much as possible. Yeah, I think some of my lowest times, especially in the past couple of years, have been just feeling like I don't have enough people around me. Um, but sometimes there's something you can do about it. <laughs> Call somebody, you know. Tell them you, if you are willing to put yourself out there and say, look, I'm having problems and I need to hang out. I think most people would actually be like, okay, well, I can fit you in. Let's get coffee. Let's do something.
0: I have appreciated your friendship, and I appreciate our conversations.
1: Thanks, Evan. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. (laughs) Can you hear this?
0: Thanks again our patreon community of supporters producers sponsors all those who donate 25 plus per episode simply incredible i'm not going to embarrass you right this second but you deserve kudos thanks you guys we are hosted on transistor fm they have been flawless to work with amazing community of other podcasts highly recommend them many of our episodes in this season are recorded at congdon yards in high point north carolina thanks for letting us take up your space And this is a human-people creative production, encouraging remarkable people to turn beautifully polished and far-fetched ideas into gritty and impactful realities. And thanks to you for being a listener, a.k.a. a person who listens. You took the time, and I hope it added something special to your day. See you soon.
1: People Production.